When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album, the author of the book, Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is inspired. Mm, 25 plus years ago, I sat alongside my old college professor as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And we did a last class together in what's important in life when you really know you're going to die, really know you're going to die. And I never forgot the lessons that I learned there. They resonate with me stronger now than even when I was listening to them during that time. I think age does that to you. I I had an experience, and I want to say hi to Lisa Goich, our producer of the program, alongside as always. Hi, Mitch. I had an interesting experience. This is not going to be our topic. We're going to talk about labor because uh, this will be Uh, our podcast that will match up with Labor Day. And we're going to talk about labor and its place in life. And what is labor? Uh, Mm. Does labor just mean work? Does labor mean childbirth? Does labor mean labors of love? Uh, There's lots of ways of looking at labor in your life, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I had an experience yesterday that I just want to share to reiterate uh, something that Maury really taught me. You know, I, I had the opportunity to sit with Maury during what amounted to be the last months of his life, every Tuesday. And at the beginning, our conversations were very coherent and very intelligent and very um, theoretical and back and forth, along with the uh, typical emotional stuff that Maury was known for and the warmth and everything. Mm-hmm. But, but he was all there. He was totally present. ALS was ravaging his body, but it hadn't touched his mind and it hadn't touched his ability to communicate. By the end... Uh, we were down to a handful of sentences and a handful of words. And there, it was difficult for him to talk. It was difficult for him to, uh, because of that, you know, because of the pain that he was in and, and the, the, the failure of so much of his body, even if his brain inside was functioning, the ability to sort of communicate outside was, was all but gone. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to go visit um, a relative of mine. And we went with some family members and, it was one of those things that got thrown together at the last minute. He's in his mid-90s, and we've been following his health very carefully for, for you know the last number of years. And talking to him on the Skype or on the FaceTime, but he's reached a point where he's suddenly taken a really bad turn for the worse. And, and mm-hmm. not so much like we know that the end of his life is X number of days away, because that's mm-hmm. often the way that people evaluate it. Oh, uh, the the hospice people say that he's got two days left. Yeah. You better come so visit. Come on, yeah, yeah. Right. Or uh, the doctors are saying it's just a matter of hours now. You better come visit. And 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 people race sometimes to get there mm-hmm. to beat death. You know, let me just yeah. get there before 
death comes and takes this person away. And sometimes they succeed and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just show up for the funeral. And they say, well, I need to go to the funeral because this person meant so much to me. I need to go to the funeral. I need to make a great effort to go to the funeral. I need to get on an airplane and fly halfway across the country to go to the funeral. And, and I've always said that funerals, like weddings, not that there's a connection between the two, but funerals like weddings are as much for the other people as they are for the people that they are oh, actually definitely. about. Uh, Absolutely. And, and funerals in, in particular, I mean, unless we believe that we get to attend our own funerals, which I always thought would be a great book. You know, I just, uh, I, may, I may write that book one day about write a it. guy Don't who in the- Don't tell many people about it. Well, a guy who in the afterlife is in charge of of just shuffling people to their own funerals, and he stands by them and watches them as they oh. watch their funeral. <laughs> you know, he's he's a funeral escorter because people are so devastated by what they hear or who doesn't show up or whatever it is that they need help. They need somebody there to like comfort them. Easy, right. it's okay. <laughs> you know, eighteen people is actually a pretty good showing for a lot of people for a funeral. <laughs> but uh, unless you believe that that's true then what does showing up for the funeral really do for the person who died? It's more yeah. for the family, right? It's more for yeah. uh, the surviving members to give them comfort and, and to hold their hands and get them through it. Uh, well, same thing if you're trying to beat the moment that the, the bell rings and, and death comes and, and takes your loved one. Okay, so maybe you get there and, and we got there and you know four hours after we, we had a chance to hold his hand, he was dead. But... I prefer to try to get there when you can still communicate and when you can still say what needs to be said. And what was so beautiful about this trip was we did. We we beat that deadline. And and the way that the, 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 the decline is coming, if we waited another couple of weeks, we might not have. But we were able to say, we love you a hundred times. And he was able to say in his own way, he was limited by um, dementia and, and some other things that are plaguing him, but he was able to say, and he has an accent, he's, he's, he was foreign born, I have the most wonderful family. Oh, the most wonderful family. I got the most wonderful family. He said it over and over again. What a beautiful thing to uh. have. And, and, to, and, and, and if that ends up being the last memory for some of the people who made the trip who, who couldn't otherwise go it's far away that's the beautiful thing and yeah. and i encourage people to try to go when you can still convey those ideas and have those ideas conveyed back to you they will put you much more at peace when the passing comes than saying well i got there while the ventilator was still working you know i got to see him right. take his last breaths okay that's for you that's not that's necessarily right. for them yeah. That's right. That's I, right. That's that. That's that. That eases my mind, you know, because we maybe we talked about this, but I felt bad because I didn't, I wasn't with my dad when he died, but I was there six days prior, and then I was there a couple weeks before that. Right. Um, both times I went because it was sort of like this is it, you got to come. But yeah. I came, and it wasn't it. Instead, yeah. though, we had these two awesome visits where we rolled him around. We got to go outside. We spent time together. He was still able to talk. I could tell him everything. And I did tell him everything because I knew that it probably would be the last right. time I would see him. Right. Both and times. Isn't that so, more satisfying now than having yes. said, well, I was there to watch the final breath? Uh, I, you know, sometimes watching people's final breath, and I, I've had it happen, 
it can be haunting. Uh, yeah, it's, it is. It, it's not. It's not something you want to notch on your belt necessarily. It can, it can wreak no. havoc with your memories, and 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 uh, it can haunt you a little bit if you're not if you're not prepared to absorb it in the whole big picture of life. But what will never haunt you is a discussion where you're able to exchange love and exchange feelings, uh, yeah, even as both parties kind of know that we're coming down the home stretch and. We were able to do yeah. that, and I encourage anybody who has that chance now, and and in light of COVID especially, grab it if you can, because who knows when these doors are going to close again with COVID. True. Think about how many people last year in 2020 never got the chance to have those discussions, not yep. because they couldn't make it timing-wise, but because they weren't permitted. Yeah. person was in the hospital, or you weren't allowed to travel, or whatever the case was, and um, that's a terrible thing to have robbed from your life and so grab it if you can folks grab it if you can and um have those conversations while you can have those conversations so one of the conversations that maury and i had was actually more than one i mean we talked about it quite a bit it was a subject that he felt very strongly about was work labor and so with labor day just around the corner here and the holiday that we're celebrating what place does labor have in our lives? Now, it might come as a shock to you. If you are followers of Tuesdays with Maury, read the book or saw the movie or whatever the case was and, and think, oh, I know what that's about. And I know that Maury didn't want Mitch to work. And he thought that he should do things that were more important than work. That is not true. It's not true. I... Mm -hmm always tell people that and and frequently their their jaw kind of drops because they've been thinking that maury if he had his way would have had me drop out of society stop my work stop my labor and go like climb a tree sit in it all day and hum <laughs> or move to an ashram doing that much yeah no that's not you <laughs> uh but that wasn't what maury wanted either he never felt that, uh, oh, you need to quit your job in order to have perspective, in order to put right. things... He didn't feel that way. He didn't want to not teach, which was his job. It was more about how do you keep your labor in perspective? How do you serve the axiom, work to live, not live to work? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. see, this is what we have become it's now. And, and every 20 years or so... This bears repeating in America as if it's a brand new lesson because I've got news for all the 20-somethings who are listening to us. Uh, we heard this conversation when we were your age and probably people before us as well, uh, but you need to hear it, and that is work should serve your life. Work should enable you to live your life with freedom with mm -hmm. compassion, with uh, without anxiety, meaning, you know, you earn enough money or you do whatever, not to have to worry about, am I, where am I going to eat? Believe me, I mm -hmm. see that life every day in Haiti, and it's not a life that you would wish. There's nothing noble about it. The, the poor people of Haiti who are amongst the poorest in the world would not say to you, yes, but we're poor, but we know what's important in life. They'd say, no, can we get a job? There's yeah, 60, 70% right. of them don't have a job. They're looking for work. Um, so it's not to climb the tree or sit in the ashram and hum, but it is 
to make sure that the reason you get up in the morning, the reason that you exist in the world is not because of your workplace. Mm-hmm. Google, whatever you think of them, and I, I'm not here to pass judgment on them in any way, but I remember going out to their offices back in Northern California, back when they were just sort of coming up as a really big company. And we were given a tour of their facility, although we were sworn to secrecy and we weren't allowed to, it was all kinds of things. We had a sign that we wouldn't say that we were. <laughs> it was kind of nuts. But I remember I was there with the, the band that I play with and, uh, and they gave us this tour. And this was before every workplace had a cereal bar. Yeah. And an omelet station. Uh, right. This was the first time that I ever saw a workplace. It was a campus, a workplace that had places to eat, beanbag chairs. Uh, they did your laundry. Yeah. You know, you could just bring your laundry and they took care of the, your laundry. And at first, I was so knocked out by this. I thought, oh, gosh, it. I missed my calling, you know, I could, yeah. what a great environment. <laughs> and, you know, the, the desks were set up in kind of a casual way. There weren't, there weren't cubicles or things like that. People could work wherever they want. There were blackboards all over the place that you could just, uh, or whiteboards that you could just start sketching ideas on. And, and, and you know, you could mm-hmm. sleep. They had beds, they had cots. And, and I felt, at first, I just felt so enamored by this. I said, this is so great. I mean, what a, what a great environment to work in. And then I began uh-huh. to turn <laughs> on my way home. Uh-huh. I started to think about it, and I saw it very much like the yeah. scene in Pinocchio where they invite, where Pinocchio <laughs> runs away and with the, with the other bo- bad boys and gets invited into that like amusement park, uh, you know, uh-huh. where they, where they right. can eat candy all day or do it and and secretly they're turning them into donkeys you know yes yes Uh, well (laughs) i said oh 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 i get what they're doing they're making it so you never want to go home right so that you have to be there all the time you you just don't even realize it well i got my laundry's being done here and i'm got i got a pizza being done so i'm at work and instead mm-hmm. of being at work for eight hours, you're at work for 18 hours. Yeah. And you don't even think of it because this is where you live. This is, mm-hmm. And they love that idea because everything you invent while you're living there is theirs. Yeah. You yeah. do it on their campus, they own it. So what's a, what's a cereal bar? What's some Fruit Loops or Cocoa Puffs <laughs> if during that time when someone's in there Munching down on the on the, on the, a bowl of cereal, suddenly they come up with the idea for the next search engine. Yeah, and I began to become very cynical about it. I said, "No, this is the opposite of what work should be. You should be entitled to have your own life separate mm-hmm. from your work, and not to overlay them one on top of the other." And this is what our young people now need to hear. The goal is not to put yourself in some place where you can live. 90 oh. hours a week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the definition of I love my job. That's the definition of my job is my life. And if I'm going to mm-hmm. like my life, I'm going to have to like my job because my job is my life. Yeah. And I think a lot of people realize that during the pandemic, including a lot of tech workers mm. who I think they just a light bulb came on in their heads. They were like, wait a minute. 
So there's this world out here where I can bring my clothes to another dry cleaner, where I can buy my own cereal and eat it in my own house. And by the way, I can take my dog for a walk. Wow, what? And and I can live in a place that's not so expensive. I can go live someplace where it's a better cost of living. Huh? And all these light bulbs are going off because these kids started young, right? They started at these places in their early 20s. That's all they ever knew. That's right. Now that they've seen this other world of, wow, there is life outside of where I work. I think it's I think it's a game changer. Yeah. And it's causing a lot of questions and problems right now as people try to ease back in. Yep. They are discovering that work, no matter how many cereal bars there are, no matter how many casual Fridays or casual week or, or just come in in your shorts and T-shirt, we don't care, uh, that places make, it's still work. And they're making money yeah. off of you. And mm-hmm. they're making, the goal is to make a profit. And so all of this leads to making a lot of money, not necessarily making you a better person. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I went through when I was visiting with Maury, there was a news story uh, in, the, in the news during the time that I was visiting him about Ted Turner, who at the time, of course, owned CNN and some other things. And, all. and at the time, he was trying to buy a network TV, uh, you know, studio like or whatever. Station or a, yeah, well, a it wasn't a station. Yeah. He was going to buy the network. The network. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. I think it was CBS, but don't quote me. But let's say it was CBS. And, uh, of course, this made all the financial papers and everything like that. And and I happened to be reading a newspaper, and they some reporter actually asked him, well, why is it so important that you get CBS. I mean, it's not like you're not doing well. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You've, you've owned, you know, you got CNN, you started cable news, you got all this money, you got all these things. Why is it so important? And his answer, I don't know if he was joking around or weirdly serious, but his answer was, I don't want my tombstone to read, he never owned a network. Uh, As if that would be how he would be defined. You know, if you didn't right. get a network, then that's how they're going to remember you. And I guess if you're in that business world, so deeply that your your life is evaluated by your business accomplishments or lack thereof, then I guess maybe you're worried that that's, your, that's what they're going to put on your grave. Yeah. You know, he never owned a network. Uh, and I brought that to Maury and I said, hey, I know you're trying to figure out what you want your tombstone to read because he was. Mm-hmm. And I said, how about this? You never owned a network either, you know? <laughs> he didn't even understand what I was talking about. But, uh, but he did respond. When I said, well, what do you think? Where do you think that comes from? And uh, he said, it's kind of a misplaced set of what's really important for your life. Listen to this cut as he explains it. You can't substitute material things for love, or for gentleness, or for tenderness, or for a sense of comradeship, or a sense of embracing another in a genuine way. can't be bought. They don't know it. So they keep on buying and buying. So I have a network, so what? So I have power. Power becomes a substitute for tenderness. It isn't. That's a very important sentence there. Power becomes a substitute for tenderness. Mm. The fact is nothing in work is a substitute for tenderness. Power, position, money, status... The things that he just mentioned, love, gentleness, tenderness, you know, suddenly when the division needs to go, they revoke your pass to the cereal bar. 
Sorry, yeah. but uh, we're down 10%, and uh, you know, you're going to have to find someone else to do your laundry. Wait a minute. I thought you loved me. You cared about me. No. Yeah, no, no firm, <laughs> no company cares about you and loves you the way that your friends, your family, your loved ones, your, your, your spouse is going True. to love you. And seeking that at a workplace, seeking that through your labor is a fool's errand. Labor will never bring you that tenderness, that camaraderie, that gentleness, that love, that sense of security. That's not what labor is. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to, but we are now searching for that kind of acceptance in the, in the workplace. I'm going to tell you about an example, uh, Lisa, that kind of proves what you just said before about, about COVID and how that's changed things, but you want yeah, to Yeah, it won't even bring here. you satisfaction is what I wanted to say either. It's not, you think it's bringing you satisfaction, but it's really not true satisfaction. I don't think you can ever get true satisfaction out of a job that you can get out of a family or going on a trip and seeing a beautiful beach or mountains or spending time with children in your family or whatever. Right. It's it's not the same true feeling, I don't think. It's the age-old expression. It's not new. You've heard it. It's a cliche, but it's a true cliche. And nobody in their deathbed ever said, "Ah, I wish I had worked harder. Yeah. Oh, I I wish I worked more hours. We, when you... And, and, and one of the great ways to sort of see this is when you lose your job. Now, I had a very formative experience, and I guess perhaps this is um, why I feel as strongly as I do about this. When I was about 16 or 17 years old, I went to college early. Uh, I left high school a year early, so I was pretty young when I was going to college. And um, the summer that I was about to go to college this spring when I, when I kind of left high school. But before I went to college, uh, my father was suddenly, after 18 and a half years at a job, at a company, you know, big company, um, mm-hmm. he was summarily let go for no reason, mm-hmm. did nothing wrong, uh, violated nothing. He was a great, he was a great worker. They just kind of let him go. Horrible. There was some feeling that, you know, he was a Jewish man and, that they didn't like the fact that he was rising up uh, so high in the company because he was very good at what he did and he was getting close to the top. And they decided to get rid of him because of that. You know, we'll never be able to prove that, but there was some suspicion of that. Um, Let's just say it was, for purposes of of this discussion, let's say it wasn't even that that evil. Let's just say uh, they decided they didn't need the division anymore, whatever it was. And after 18 and a half years... And at 20 years, he would have gotten a pension that ah. would have paid him half of his salary for the rest of his life when he retired. Ah. But short of that, by a year and a half, he had to start all over again. Ah. And that summer, which was the summer before I went to college, I took on two jobs, uh, a daytime job, which started at about seven in the morning, and an evening job, which started about five o'clock in the evening and went till midnight. And I just Jeez, slept Mitch. in between. Well, because I needed to raise money to go to college. Yeah. And I never will forget that in order to get those jobs, I had to do a resume. And back in those days, you know, you wrote up your resume and then you typed it. And you learned early on or in high school, perhaps you learned it. 
um, how to do a resume. Put your name in the center, you know, with maybe your phone number underneath it. And then you start with, you know, educational background, or you start with the goal mm-hmm. to find a job in the such and such industry, then educational background, and you list where you've been, then previous experience, related experience, other skills. You know, there's all those categories that go on. And I did that in my limited whatever I had to offer at age 17. Uh-huh. I hadn't done that much. But I was very familiar with doing it because you had to turn in a resume for all these different jobs, of which I got two. And yeah. one night after my dad was fired and he never spoke of it, um, he, I came home from one of the jobs and he was sitting at the desk and he was writing on a yellow pad. And, uh, you know, he said hi to me or whatever, but didn't say anything what he was doing. I happened to walk past him and looked over his shoulder and he was writing his resume. Oh. And of course, he at that time Aww. was, uh, you know, in his 50s. And yeah. here he was writing his resume with his name and he had very neat penmanship. He was writing with, he had his name and he had to look just like me. And I was a 17 yeah. year old kid, a 16 year old kid. And here he was, this, you know, the, my hero, my dad. And yeah. he was right back to the beginning writing his resume out. And I always remembered how they made him feel and how impersonal and cold the whole mm. thing was. And he had, he used to take us to the picnics for the, the company. You know, every year he'd bring the family and show everybody yeah. he's got his family there. He was a team player and all those things. And they just got rid of him. And... That can happen. Happens a lot, yeah. But it happens a lot, and it can happen to anybody. And I think my dad learned a real lesson from that, you know, not to tie his fortunes to Mm -hmm. a company or take his value in a company. Now, what was interesting with him was that maybe because they felt guilty about what they had done, they allowed him for about three months to use his office or use an office at the building it's a big company, you know, big corporate building. Use an office of the building to search for another job, you know, so that he would have a phone and a desk and something that people could yeah. call him back and whatever and like that. And but he his job was done, and every morning he would get up and put on a suit, oh. and he would drive me to work at my seven o'clock job, which was at a factory, and then he would go on to his office. And he was always dressed nicely, like he was still working there and everything like that. And I said, Dad, why are you, you're just going to the office, you just make a phone call. I said, well, why are you dressing up? And he says, well, the people there have come to see me one, a certain way, and and I'm going to maintain my my presence and my dignity, you know, uh, while I'm doing it. And I said, but don't you feel... Don't you don't you want to just go in there and like break all the furniture or smash the windows (laughs) and all that? And he said, why? And I said, because of what they did to you. And he said, they can't do anything to me that I don't let them do to me. Uh. He said, I don't see myself as less. So why should I behave as less? Why should I dress as less? I'm going to dress and behave the way that I see myself and I'll find another job and 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 I'll bring that persona to that job. And I yeah. always thought, wow, you know, what courage and what uh what dignity, you know, and the strength it took to walk That's in knowing not... he was fired. Everyone there yeah. knew he was fired and he still came in in a suit, said good morning right. to everybody, went to seeing his office. Seeing the same people. Seeing the same people that used to work What's for him. What's that guy him. still doing here? <laughs> yeah, and he was there 
making calls for his job. Aww, and so, but but that taught me that the job doesn't control your dignity. You control your dignity. You control, right. You control who you are. And, and when you labor, you don't give your soul to the place that you labor. You own your soul. You own your mm-hmm. dignity. You own your own sense of purpose. You're just giving them your labor for which they should give you a fair wage. Maybe they will, yeah. maybe they won't. But they can't, take from you what you won't let them take from you and remember that they are not in the business of making you feel whole in your life Mm -hmm. they are in the business of doing better than they did the year before maury talked about that too listen to this when is it enough that's the big question you can always want more because the world is unlimited. You got a million, you want a billion. You got a billion, you want six billion. And they just keep pouring it on. There's a kind of a built-in greed factor. And unless you're aware of that, it'll just operate out of control. And if, from my point of view, I was always aware of the fact that I didn't want a lot of money. I didn't like people who had lots of money because they controlled other people, and not in a nice way. I told you about how my father was exploited, and I didn't think that was a course for me. And so I never was oriented toward accumulating money. I just wanted enough money to have a pretty decent life. And that's what we did. Maury understood early on that uh, he wasn't going to search for the things that he needed in life in a company. And he wasn't going to try to make more, 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 more. And the point wasn't mm-hmm. to labor as hard as you possibly can for someone else. He knew that early on, and he, 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 he was good about it and that balance. We need that challenge. And what I was going to say to you before was... My nephew has gotten into a business that I have to say at the beginning, I thought, well, this is interesting, but is there really much of a market for it? And that business is that he refurbishes um, these vans. You know, they're, they're, they're like minivans almost size-wise. Forgive me, I don't, I'm not a car expert. I don't know. what, But they're, they're vans. They're camper vans. And he refurbishes them for people who want to travel and kind of live and work out of their van and oh, go, around, yeah. go around the, the, the country. And yeah. they are, so they have a bed in them and they have a desk. They, depending on what they ask for, some of them are like portable recording studios. Some of them are portable mm-hmm. veterinary clinics. Some of them are portable massage places. Some of them are just, you know, a portable little office. And these people are basically saying, you know what? I don't want to go into a workplace anymore. I don't want to be stuck in an office. I don't want that to define my life. I'll, I am the commodity. The, mm-hmm. I am the labor force. I'll get a job where they say you can go, you can do it from wherever you are. They get Wi-Fi put into the thing. And they, they say, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go. Sometimes they tell them, I'm going to go stay at a national park 
and I'll do my four or five hours of work that I have to do. And then when I open the doors, I'm looking at Yosemite. Yeah. I'm looking at the yeah. mountains. I'm looking at the beautiful forest. I'm on, the, I'm, I'm, on, I'm overlooking the ocean. And people yep. are realizing like, yeah, I can do my labor, but still I can make the labor serve my life and not my life serve my labor. Amen. And you would not believe how this business has blown up. So people are, as a result, I think, of COVID, kind of recognizing that the old form of labor, you know, up in the morning and off to, <laughs> to, uh-huh. off to work instead of school, and the, uh, the alarm clock goes off, and you, you drag that cup of coffee, and, and you, you fight the city traffic and the smog and the pollution, and get into the parking space, and you can't park close enough because somebody else is parked there, and you drag yourself to your office, and you punch in and you punch out. I think that that's going away, that form of mentality, and, and that's for the good. Because people yeah. just felt, you know, the more I do this, the more accomplished I am. But no, it's robbing you of, of, of many things. And most of all, your perspective. Because when mm-hmm. you work all the time and work all the time, you can lose your perspective. And the other thing that labor is not supposed to do is to dominate your life outside of the mm-hmm. office or wherever you work. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to my own dad again, who I thought had things in pretty good perspective. He had a rule that he would not discuss work at the dinner table. There was just no discussion of work at the dinner table. And he and my mom had this all worked out. I'm sure they had private discussions about his work in the office and his pay and all that. But I never heard them. Not once. Not once Mm -hmm. as a child. Dinner was about the family. Dinner was about what we did during the day or or jokes or stories or relatives or whatever, but never about work. So much so that when I had to fill out my college applications – when I was uh, 15, 16 years old, and it said father's occupation, I did not know what to put down. I know that sounds silly, but I did not know what my father did. I knew that he went to work in the morning and he came home at night, but I was just raised in a house where they just didn't talk about work. And uh, the the kids in the neighborhood used to joke that he was with the CIA or he was a spy or something (laughs) because I knew so little about him and a little about his work. And finally I said, what do you do? Like, what do I put down here? And he said, I'll just put yeah. businessman, you know, and business that's, man. What, that's what I put. So, and that was a healthy attitude too. So labor has a place in our lives for sure. And so much so it even gets its own holiday, Labor Day. But we have to remember who we're laboring for, what we're laboring for, and what place labor has in our lives. And it is not a substitute for the things that make us human, and it is not an excuse to chase after every last dollar. And it is definitely not a reason to be insensitive to people. Hey, it's not, mm. it's not personal. It's just business. How many times have you heard yeah. that? Uh, mm. It's always oh. when the thing feels the most yeah. personal. I'm yes. sure they said that to my father when they laid him off. It's not personal. It's yes. just business. Well, why does it feel so personal uh. then? Why does it hurt so much? Yes. That's not what labor is supposed to be either. So as we uh, enter this holiday weekend and this uh, Labor Day weekend, remember the reason why you labor. Remember the reason why you work. And make it to work so that you can live the life that you want to live, but not live so that you can work and work and work and work and work. And how can I serve the big company more? How can I serve my boss better? In the end, that will, will probably let you down in some shape or form and and it might be too late at that point to get the years back 
All right. We certainly enjoyed speaking with you today. We hope you enjoyed this. If you if you want to learn more, you can go to our website at wetuesdaypeople.com, wetuesdaypeople.com. You can leave us a comment, leave us a rating. You can find out about the discussion groups and previous shows and listen to, uh, in particular, last week. We got a lot of good feedback on our interview with your friend Lanny, who uh, is over in Pakistan and was working with the young girls in Afghanistan, yeah. and we just uh, pray for his safety and and for the girls' safety uh, there. And that was a really interesting conversation. Um, on behalf of Lisa Goich, I am Mitch Album, and until we see you again, I leave you with this. As Maury used to say to me when I would walk out the door, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>